the only emotion that is more powerful than fear oh, yeah. is hope. And I always have hope that we can change the world, that I can accomplish whatever goals I set in my mind. Hi, I'm Tony Hernandez, CEO and founder of Leading Ladies 904. I'm a runner and yogi, culture engineer, and leadership trainer. I am madly and wildly in love with people who disrupt the status quo. People who are comfortable with being uncomfortable and uncomfortable with mediocrity. And because these are my favorite kind of people who light my soul on fire, I want to bring their stories to you. You have tuned in to What's Your Extraordinary with Tony Hernandez, a part of the Essential Culture Podcast Network. My goal is to take us on an inspiring journey into the minds of remarkable people. We explore the extra gene, or what I like to call the e-code. Why do some people have both the ability and drive to pursue and or create what others deem impossible? So whether you're on a run, listening in, or on your daily commute, or maybe just disconnecting from all the noise, I hope that this 30-minute dose of inspiration influences you to ask yourself, what's my extraordinary? So I am um, sitting here at Mayo Clinic and um, been here a dozen times. Um, and this visit to Mayo Clinic is perhaps one of the most inspiring ones to date. Um, in this really incredible room, I'm sitting with Dr. Q, also known as Dr. Quinones Hinojosa. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about, um, you know, what his accomplishments have been. Um, as I always tell the listeners, I want to tell you, yes, what he's done, because we, we, we commit to interviewing extraordinary people. Um, and then I want to get to who he is um, who is the man behind Dr. Q? So uh, Dr. Q wrote an autobiography, Becoming Dr. Q, about his journey from migrant farm worker to neurosurgeon, graduated from UC Berkeley, Harvard Medical School, and then went on to John Hopkins University. And you are now a world-renowned uh, neurosurgeon here at Mayo Clinic. You're a cancer researcher, uh, chair of the neurosurgery department of Mayo Clinic. And um, you are also co-founder of a nonprofit foundation called Mission Brain, <laughs> bridging resources and advancing international neurosurgery. You're one of the most, you're one of 100 most influential Hispanics in the US, uh, 2014's Neurosurgeon of the Year by Voices Against Brain Cancer, and Forbes Magazine's 2014, one of Mexico's most brilliant minds. And I'm going to argue that I think <laughs> you are one of the world's most brilliant minds, Dr. Q. So welcome. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Tony, Thank for you. having me here. And I hope that, that we can keep your audience entertained for the next few minutes. <laughs> we will. We're going to inspire them. Um, one thing I didn't touch on, which I think is perhaps one of the last things I've learned about you, but I also learned that you have an incredible sense of humor, is that Brad Pitt and Disney, um, <laughs> they have announced that they are um, they doing a movie. They're featuring you in a movie about your inspirational life. And so this is how I know you had a sense of humor. You um, had a conversation. I think that you're you're trying to decide who's going to play you in these movies. Well, I, I don't decide, but someone <laughs> well, did ask about that. But I think that somebody <laughs> asked that, and you said... Well, I want The Rock to play me, and I yes. think your son say it's going to be more like Danny DeVito. <laughs> yes, that's true. It's, that's a true story, and my son is extraordinarily proud of making sure that I tell that story because, uh, you know, that's how he feels about it. <laughs> um, so, okay, we're going we're gonna to talk about three things. I, you know, I want to, again, I want to talk about, like, who you are. What are the, um, I commit to our listeners that we explore what are the practices that these extraordinary human beings are in the practice of, um, because you never know. 
like I might start trying something new, right? Um, and um, I want to talk about your incredible work here at Mayo Clinic with with uh, neurosurgery and, and specifically brain cancer, right? And then we're going to talk about the future. Absolutely. Because I think that you and I both agree that Jacksonville, Florida is one of the most incredible cities in the world. I agree 100%, and I think that this is going to be the mecca and the uh, hub and uh, the place where we're going to be able to change the world, not only in medicine, but beyond that. And I really mean it with all sincerity. You know, you say beyond that. I have to tell you, I have a personal goal. I founded an organization called Leading Ladies 904. And one of my personal goals is that we make Jacksonville, Florida, the number one entrepreneur hub for women. I say I want little girls all over the world to say, I need to move to Jacksonville because the most collaborative women live there. I agree, so and together, I think that we can do it. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> so um, let's, I want to start, look, you have it, you've had an incredible journey, okay? Um, not easy, but a very incredible journey, very inspiring. And um, you know what I kept thinking about this, Dr. Q, is how do you define the American dream? That's a very good question. Tony, I think that the American dream is a universal human dream. It's, it goes beyond the borders of our country. It's a dream that every human being has of making it better, not only for themselves, but for those who are coming after them, whether they are their family, family members, children, or our future generations. It's, um, it's a dream that we all have as humans that we can make this world a better place. And I do believe that we are born, all of us, with that intrinsic dream and that desire. Somewhere along the line, what happens is that in humans, we begin to um, stop that ability that we all have in our brains to create over a trillion synapses, you know, over the first few years of life. And, uh, and uh, we begin to lose sense of what, a, what an amazing ability we have to make those dreams a reality. Mm. I've come across this quote many times, never, never, ever give up. Never, ever, ever give up. And, you know, as I was preparing for you, like, that just kept coming up for me because that's what your life has been about. It's about never giving up. It's about it, what's next, what's next, you know. Um, tell me about a moment with that notion, never, ever, ever give up, seemed challenging. And what did you do to move through that? Yeah. I would say that the never giving up is... Um, the best way that I can describe it is, is, is that grit that we have in our bellies. And I, I can't describe it to you with words. I can only try to tell you the emotions that go through someone's, you know, um, body when you are told that you can't do something. Mm -hmm. You know, and I, and since I was a little kid and I can remember, every time I was told that I couldn't do something, I wanted it even more, and I proved to myself, you know, and I, I, I do have to believe that, that I always try to do things to prove to myself, not to the rest of the world, to prove to myself that I can do something. And I think that, you know, that grit that we have, that ability to just keep moving forward and, uh, and despite of the challenges that life gives you, 
and, uh, and the obstacles that are put in front of you, you just move over them, around them, and uh, just keep moving forward. I think that that's something that uh, I had at a very early age. And I think about this idea, you know, as to that sometimes people ask me, are you afraid? Are you, do you have fears? And I said, I have a lot of fears. And we can go into that at any moment that you want. But I'd say that, you know, one of the recent books that I read, you know, uh, it was uh, Hunger Games, you know, and it was Katniss Aberdeen, you know, and he, uh, they, they talk about in the book that the only emotion that is more powerful than fear oh, yes. is hope. And I always have hope that we can change the world, that I can accomplish whatever goals I set in my mind. Now, of course, I set myself goals that are extraordinarily ambitious, like changing the world. But some people say, wow, that is very arrogant. That is amazing that you want to change the world. And some people think that you have to be a, a, a gazillionaire to be able to change the world. You don't realize that you can change the world by just the small mm. little things mm. that you do every day. You know, as I walk through the through the hallway sometimes and I feel that someone is right behind me, is the person is sweeping the floors, I wait until they are, even if they are, you know, 10, 20 meters away, and I wait and I, I hold the door open for them to be able to go through. And those are small little details. That's how you end up changing the world. And then on top of that, you do a little bit bigger things like the science that we do in the lab or the surgeries that we do in the operating room or the foundations that we start. And I think that those are, you know, things that are obstacles. And time, sometimes people tell you, you can't do that. Like I was told when I started my foundation that I couldn't go around the world. I was too busy doing science and research that I should just concentrate and do that at the time of my prior institution. And I said, nonsense. I think that I can give myself some time around my busy schedule you know, at least once, twice, three times a year to go somewhere around the world where I am needed and be able to provide my services for free and mm. empower those in those communities to not only change the world, but also to do it themselves. And I think that those are the kind of moments that uh, define who one person, define what a person can or cannot do. So you don't give up. You right. know, you just never, never give up and just keep moving. And you're going to be tired and the world is going to get you down on your knees. And the greatest challenge is just to get up again, get another beating and keep moving forward. <laughs> <laughs> Life can give us some beatings. Um, you know, you remind me of, I'm reading this book called Quirky. And Elon Musk, Elon Musk says, uh, don't tell me it's impossible, just tell me you can't do it. Right. Right? Um, I, want to talk, I want to touch on this idea of fear, right? Because the work that you do... I imagine that people come to you full of fear, right? Yeah. Um, they hear perhaps the scariest words that they can hear from a physician, right? You have brain cancer. Um, what What are your fears within? I mean, you you have people's lives at hand every day. I think I believe you do like two to three hundred surgeries a year. Yeah. What is what is how does that manifest, and how do you move from that? Because I would say that. It is a tough, um, tough thing to do. I admire my colleagues who do it every day. I'm not the only brain surgeon here at the Mayo Clinic. You know, I'm surrounded by another 11 ex extraordinary human beings. But same thing with our nurses, with our technicians, with our neurologists, with many other physicians who are dealing, you know, with, uh, with uh, our patients' lives every day. I tell you, I am afraid many times every time before I go into the operating room of not giving my best for that mm -hmm. patient. Mm 
I am afraid of not, not, not only of feeling that no matter how much I have trained as a brain surgeon, you know, and no matter how much I have learned, I still know so little about that unexplored frontier, which is the brain. And yet I have to venture into that sanctuary, which is the brain, and try to take out these amazing tumors and disconnect the tumors from part of the brain that control your motion, your movement and control your emotions and your vision and your speech. And I'm afraid of failing. And I think that what I do is I turn all that fear into positive energy. But what I am most afraid, I tell you, is not about whether I'm going to fail or not. It's whether my patients will or will not have a quality of life. What do I mean by that? I think that when a patient comes in and puts her, uh, his or her life in my hands, I want to make sure that I touch them, that I feel them, that I express my emotions with them, and I let them know that I will absorb the shock. Let me worry about what they are about to go through in the operating room because they're already afraid, right? And no one is not afraid. Imagine I go into the operating room and a lot of my surgeries are awake and they have to be there with me and I can't do it. I tell them together, we're going to fight this disease. I can't do it without you. Let me worry about the details of the operation. I just want you to have a good, you know, sort of a state of mind before we go into the operating room. And I'm afraid that uh, their quality of life... like pun intended. I want you to have yeah. a great state of mind. Great state of mind. And I, you know, I worry about them not having a quality of life. You know, I worry about them being too concerned, you know, because I know that at the end of the day, we can get them through because we have an amazing team here at the Mayo Clinic. We can get them through this. But no matter how good we are, at the end of the day, we are dealing with the unpredictable, the brain. So yes, I have a lot of fears and I uh, try to, you know, fight through them. I have, uh, like anybody, I have a lot of demons that uh, make me think every day whether I am capable or not of doing what I do. And I have people who come from all over the world having high hopes that I'm going to be able to disconnect their tumors, that I'm going to be able to get them in and out of the operating room safe. And it doesn't get any easier. Every single, people ask me, what is your most difficult surgery? What is your easiest surgery? And I said, every time I go into the arena, into the operating room, no matter how trivial the procedure may be, that human being is in our hands. And I, I am the captain of that team when I go into the operating room. And if things go great, we share the, the, the recognition among everybody. And when things go wrong, I feel that the whole world collapses. And, and it's resting on my shoulders because I know how important it is for that human being, that moment of being in the operating room. Mm. Dr. Hugh, here's what I, we've been talking for 10 minutes. This is what I'm clear. I know this for sure. That connection for you is really, really important. Okay. When you're talking about that you're going to slow down so you can hold a door for someone, right? Um, you're acknowledging your team. You're saying there's 11 other physicians. There are nurses. This isn't just me. Um, when you're talking about the patient walking in and you want to put them at peace, you want to say, let me, I'm going to take this from here. I want you to relax. Uh, it's, it, it's very clear that it, the connection is really, really important. And I will say that that often lacks with physicians. Where does that come from? I There's like a level of empathy and compassion and connection that you have. A lot of my colleagues have that. A lot of them. 
much more than, than less, to be honest with you. Maybe it's because I surround myself by, by people that I can relate to. I think that comes, I definitely do agree with you, Tony, that the most important thing, you know, that we can do as physicians, as surgeons, as scientists, is relate to our patients and is giving them, giving them the sense that their life matters, mm. that their moments with their family matters, that that moment when we're going to be in the operating room, they are the most important thing in the world. And they are, by the way, the most important thing in the world. And I can tell you that I've been in situations where disasters have happened outside of the operating room and the hospitals, you know, gunshots, you know, attacks, you know, and things like that. And my OR keeps going as if nothing else matters in the rest of the world. And that's true because I believe that when you are in the arena, in the operating room, that patient, you know, feels that way and, and deserves that kind of care. I think that we all have that capability. Some of us choose over the years to disconnect ourselves a little bit because that's the way we deal with the stress. That's the way that's the way we deal with the fact that, you know, no matter, like I said earlier, how good of a surgery I do on a patient, I can't defeat brain cancer. I really can't, even though we tried in the laboratory, you know, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to give up. I keep fighting for them in the operating room and beyond the operating room, in my laboratory, in the inventions that we're doing every single day, in the things that we're patenting, in the technologies that we're developing in the operating room. That's how I feel that I am connected to them. It's beyond what I'm doing in the operating room that allows me to connect with them and that allows many of my patients to relate to me because they know that I'm going to fight for them before the surgery, during the surgery, and beyond the surgery. And guess what? If many of my patients don't survive, I keep fighting for them beyond that because a lot of their families, they still keep in touch with me. They still either donated to our work in our laboratory or they believe that what we did for them went beyond that care that we provided. And I think that many of us relate to our patients that way, identify to our patients that way because we like to believe that one day when we are on the other side of the scalpel, someone else mm. will care for us the same way. That's beautifully said. <laughs> That's beautifully <laughs> said. Uh, I can understand why people from all over the world fly to Mayo Clinic. I have met many of friends from Argentina, Colombia, uh, Chile, who have come here, uh, taken on residency for, you know, three, four months because they were seeing physicians here. So I can understand that. Let's talk about the technology, the patents, the, the, the magic that you guys are creating here at Mayo Clinic. I think it's amazing. So first of all, is, um, as you probably know, over the last few years, the Mayo Clinic, the last three years since Dr. Ferruja, who is the CEO of our institution, and Christina Zorn, who is our chief administrator officer, uh, took the lead of this program and this uh, campus. The campus has grown tremendously. You know, hundreds of millions of dollars, of dollars are have been put already over the last three years on uh, new buildings, uh, new infrastructure to be able to uh, care for the most complex patients in the neurosciences, in cardiology, in oncology, in transplant. And I really, uh, I benefited from that. And that was part of the recruitment as I came uh, two years ago, it's gonna be this fall, since I came to the Mayo Clinic. I say that, I say that to be able to give you a sense that things don't happen in isolation. The reason why this 
amazing discoveries, these new patents, these new technologies, all the way from robotics to nanoparticles to stem cells are being developed here in the backyard of our Jacksonville area is because the Mayo Clinic as an institution believed that if we were going to change the world, we needed to invest in our campuses. Mm -hmm. And we decided that Mayo Clinic in Florida, here in Jacksonville, was a key place to invest in the future of changing the world. Just because we also understand that over the last many years, you know, a lot of people have moved to this region. The technology is evolving, you know, the economy is changing, and a lot of people with a lot of extraordinary stories have moved to this area, especially in Jacksonville. We know that from, 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 uh, from many years. So Mayo decided to invest on this, and that's exactly what we're beginning to see. If you see, for instance, this last week, we moved to our new building. It's called, it's called the Mangurian um, Building. is for the neurosciences and oncology. This is an amazing place where we have some of the most amazing technology to be able to care for patients with cancer and neurological diseases. Within neurology, within the neurosciences, neurology, and neurosurgery. We have the most advanced technology to be able to care for patients. We have the most advanced technology to be able to image the patients. And then to take them into the operating room, we're using things like robotic brain surgery, robotic spine surgery. And within the operating room, we're able to nowadays to be able to, uh, to harvest stem cells from their own adipose tissue, their own uh, belly uh, 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 grease, if you, if you allow me to say, you know, their own fat to be able to harvest stem cells that we are now modifying with nanoparticles. And a lot of this technology we patented and now we're in the process of starting new companies here in our own campus to be able to then apply back into the patient. For that particular technology of robotic surgery, both for brain and spine, the spine is already here coming up this at the end of 2018, early 2019. For brain robotics, we are in the process of inventing new technologies that are going to allow us in the next three to five years to be able to do robotic brain surgery. Mm. And that is happening right here in the so campus. So for our listeners, really quickly, like... Explain robotic. Surgery. <laughs> is there a robot? Well, you know, like. <laughs> well, the, I always like to tell people that ro a robot is only as good as a human being allows it to be. Mm -hmm. At the at the end of the day, the most amazing robot is your own brain because that is a uh, an organ that has over a hundred billion neurons and about one hundred sixty trillion synapses. And I don't know if you remember, there are more synapses in our brain, your brain and my brain right now, than there are stars in the galaxy. I, Think I about that. This. This you is know? Brilliant. <laughs> but that's what is going on. So robot is a, is a tool mm -hmm. that we use to be able to, for instance, for me, we are a pioneer in some of this technology. How do I get through the nose and into the brain and park my instruments right through the nose and be able to do brain surgery without having to take the instruments in and out. So we're pioneering some of that technology to be able to do it. Or how do I go and take a brain tumor that is down in the center of the brain through a small little hole where my little pinky finger wouldn't be able to fit through and be able to park my instruments and be able to do that kind of surgery. So those are the technologies that we are developing. But beyond that, you know, 
Uh, you think about nanoparticles are small nanobots, mm -hmm. all right, that allows you to say, I'm going to send this nanoparticle into the brain, and this nanoparticle is going to be able to identify a specific thing on a brain cancer cell that would allow this nanoparticle to attack this cancer cell and kill instantly this cancer cell. So in some ways, those are much more simple robots, but that's exactly how we're using the technology. We are in the process of using it in animals right now, in animals that are like little avatars that have human cancers, all right? And I use the word avatar because it's true. That's exactly what they are. They're carrying the human cancer, and we're able to many times cure these animals from the cancer. Our challenge now is to translate that knowledge into the human body. So is that where we're moving into the future? That is the future, that's and the it's future. already here and is already allowing us to uh, move with the Mayo Clinic and together with the Mayo Clinic to be able to move and continue to invest. You probably know that over the next 10 years, by 2030, this campus is going to be an extraordinarily large campus. Many, many buildings are going to keep opening because the Mayo Clinic believes that we need to invest in people, technology, so that way we can take better care of our patients. I love that order, by the way. Let's, in, <laughs> let's invest in people, because I always say people first. Yes. Technology. Um, Dr. Q, let's, I want to I wanna talk about your brain in particular, right? Because it's fascinating. Um, and as we close, there's some questions that I, that I want to ask you, right? Um, the first one is, what do you want to be remembered for? I want to be remembered as a father, as a husband, as a son, as a friend, and maybe, maybe if people have the ability to remember fifth thing as a physician and surgeon. <laughs> I love that order, by the way. How many, do you have two? I have three children. Three children. Yes. Um, what would surprise us most about you? You probably, people are always surprised that I am just a regular guy. I just, every day I get up in the morning, I do what I do best and I go home at night and I help as much as I can around the house with my kids and uh, and I always tell people when my kids make fun of me they say daddy you know a lot about very little <laughs> which is true I know a lot about very little <laughs> um, you know brain the brain aside what sets your soul on fire Ask me that question in a different way. Let's um, see if I can. What, what lights you up the most? What makes you come most alive? Brain and, and the OR and the research aside. That is a, these are like asking me which children I like the most. <laughs> you know, it's impossible mm. to answer. I say that it all depends. So people ask me, how do I do all my things? How do we, how am I a physician, a surgeon, a scientist? a philanthropist, and I travel. I'd say that these things are not disconnected. They're all connected. I think that what fascinates me the most is just simply being able to give people hope. And sometimes I can do that through surgery. Sometimes I can do that through science. Sometimes I can just do it simply by being who I am, a father, a husband, a son, a friend, and people get inspired. So people, giving people hope is really what excites me the most. Mm -hmm. And it just, it all depends. Just like a boxer, sometimes you're going to throw an uppercut, sometimes you're going to throw a job, and you're just going to have to use your tools the best way you can use them. <laughs> all right. I like that you're using some boxing analogies. <laughs> um, I'm a big fan of books. I believe that books are mentors. 
right? There's somebody's life story that they've taken that time to, to put it into this beautiful thing called a book. Tell us a book that has changed your life and why. Well, first of all, I think that the, it's, it's, it's interesting that you asked me that question. I read a lot of books too as well. And I, just, I think I mentioned one at the beginning, Hunger Games, mm-hmm. because I read what my, my children read as well. But I tell you the book that truly meant the most to me in a way that allowed me to um, understand myself a little bit better was writing my own book. I mean, my own book was nothing else but a catharsis. It's trying to understand who I am, why is it that I am the way I am, what drives me. In despite of all that, I just still couldn't understand myself. But, you know, writing, becoming Dr. Q Q was actually a very, um, it was my way of dealing with a lot of my insecurities, a lot of my fears. And it was an opportunity to go back and look and, and really search my roots really, really deep and try to understand my parents. You know, as you can imagine, I, and I write about this in my book, uh, my own brushes with death since I was a little kid, seeing my little sister die, mm-hmm. understanding my father fighting uh, alcohol and being an incredibly honest and, and hardworking man. And despite of that, you know, feeling, def- feeling defeated by life. You know, all those things allowed me to understand myself a little bit better. But I had to deal with that. I had ignored that part of my life for almost two decades as I went from undergraduate to medical school residency and now becoming a full professor, obviously, at a major institution. And I had to go back and search deep, look deep down in my soul and find that still in my soul and try to understand what is it that I am who I am. And if you ask me if I understand myself, my answer is absolutely not. (laughs) But I, I still gave it a good try, and I uh, had fun memories. And that allowed me to now write a second book that I have in process right now, because then now the second book is more about this, how do I, why do I relate to that, my patients and how? Why is it that their stories matter to me and how they shape my life, and in turn, they shape the life of those around me? But my book is a combination of many lives, and it's also the culmination and combination of many books that I read, obviously. And I think that that's something that is very, very important to me. I will add that one. I am going to read your book. Um, I think the last question that I have is I, I, I believe that in life, um, we are gifted human beings who change the trajectory of our lives, right? They believe in you, even when we didn't believe in ourselves. Um, we can call them mentors. You can call them whatever you want. Um, and I also just believe that we all should have mentors and we should all mentor someone else, right? Is there someone in particular um, that stands out and what do they teach you? Oh, absolutely. I tell people there's a fine line between being a mentor and being a tormentor. <laughs> and the best mentors are those who can cross that line every now and then and then come back, you know. And if you ask my students, they probably will tell you that I spend more time in the tormentor side than in the mentor side. But somehow I try to figure out the way to come back. But I tell you, my very first mentor in life, and he, once again, when I wrote my book, it just took me that many years, almost 40 years to realize that, was my grandmother in my paternal side. And this was a woman who, if you look at her, if you look at me right now, I have a lot of other features and, and the strong character. And she was, uh, my Nana Maria was her name. She was a uh, woman who uh, never took no for an answer. She never gave up on her dreams. She had a severe disability. One leg was shorter than the other. And for development, probably when she was born, she probably had a, 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 an injury. 
and yet she was an extraordinary mentor. What she taught me was that, and what she did with me, to be honest with you, since she was a, you know, I was a little kid, she never let me get away with anything other than perfection and giving my best at everything that I did. And she did that with every one of her grandkids. And I learned very early on that that kind of uh, mentorship is extraordinarily valuable in one's life. And so for that, I'm very grateful. She sounds like she was a mentor and her mentor. She was. She was. <laughs> you know, and uh, she did a much better job than I did, I'm sure, mentoring uh, me. And uh, and I learned a lot from her, to be honest You know, with you. I hope that for every child, for every human being in this world, that we all have an Ana Maria. Yeah. Right? Because we can all, <laughs> we can all benefit from an Ana Maria. Um, Dr. Q, thank you so much for this time. Um, thank you, Tony. And I'm excited to, to, to make this world better with you. You're very kind. I look forward to it, and I'm sure this is not going to be the only time that we're going to talk to each other. Sounds good. Sounds good. <laughs> Gracias. Gracias. Hey, thanks for listening to What's Your Extraordinary. Please like, rate, and comment. It's tremendously helpful and helps new listeners find the podcast. I'd also love to hear from you, so tell me what's your extraordinary. You can connect with me on Instagram at Tony Hernandez Brown, Facebook Tony Hernandez, and Twitter Phila Tony, as in Philadelphia, Phila Tony. Shout out to my girl Jesse Kyle, Sean Kyle, and Louis Rieger for the dope track. This podcast is produced by my rock star, badass producer Tim Driscoll, and part of the Essential Culture Podcast Network. For more episodes and other great shows, look for the Essential Culture Podcast Network on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. <laughs>